0: This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with paleontologist Nancy Stevens. This amazing woman is a scientist an Ohio University professor, and most of all, she's an explorer. Leading teams in Africa and other places, Nancy has discovered new fossil species, including mammals, fishes, snakes, and frogs. Some of her finds are groundbreaking, like the first dinosaur trackways from the Arabian Peninsula, and the oldest fossil evidence of the split between old world monkeys and apes. When she's on a field trip, Nancy and her teams look at how animals interact with their environment over time. And back on campus, she thinks about how people interact with the environment. And she's collaborating with colleagues from many disciplines to create new ways to connect science and the environment to everyday life. Nancy will tell us about her career as an explorer and we'll talk about some ways to make the adventure of science more available to our communities. Nancy, you have one of the most interesting careers of anyone I know. You're a scientist, you're a university professor, and you're an explorer. You're doing all kinds of interesting things, but when I was, I was thinking about how to introduce you, I realized this is just too complex for anybody to believe. It's a very complicated portfolio of activities. So can you give us uh, an idea of the kinds of things you do both during the academic year when you're in, uh, on the Ohio University campus usually, and then in the summers where you could be anywhere in the world?
1: <laughs>
0: sure. Um, well,
1: To start with, my research explores how organisms respond to environmental changes through time. So this can be in the present day or in the far distant past. The key really is to understanding the dynamics of change, um, the types of resilience that enable survival, and also what makes creatures vulnerable to extinction. So over the past couple of decades, these questions have taken me to over a dozen field sites all around the world, working with colleagues to explore under-sampled intervals in the fossil record, things we don't know much about, or working with modern biodiversity hotspots to understand the vulnerabilities of some of the world's most endangered species. So on a day-to-day basis, in the classroom, I work with students on critical reasoning skills, hypothesis generation, and testing, and the benefits of evidence-based actions in our daily lives. And in the lab, I help to provide students with hands-on opportunities to apply cutting-edge technology to solve age-old puzzles. And in the field, my students and I work to understand environmental change through time, sometimes making discoveries new to science through paleontological exploration, um, but also tackling practical issues in biodiversity hotspots that will promote decisions that enable humans to live in harmony with their environments.
0: Okay, so let me make this really simple so <laughs> I can get at the history part. I, it feels to me like one of the more compelling things you're doing is helping us understand how species could disappear, how changes in the environment, how global climate change can have an impact on living beings, and maybe how do we respond to that and deal with it. Correct. But then the history is a big part of what your research is. So my impression is that what you do when you're going together with your teams and going out to the field is you're finding fossils that help explain what happened in the past. Is that what you're doing out there? Absolutely. Um,
1: Well, as many of us know, Right now, the planet is experiencing an almost unprecedented amount of environmental change. But this isn't the first time that we've been in a situation on the planet where there's been a tremendous amount of environmental change. And so what we like to do is look back into the past and take a look at times when there have been tremendous shifts um, in environmental uh, climates, um, in in shifts of species moving from one landmass to another, and looking at the impacts of what that does to the
0: biota that are living in that space at that time. So looking at it just simply, so you go off in the summer, mm-hmm. and you've got a team of students and colleagues, and uh, your husband's also a scientist, and your son comes along, mm-hmm. and, and you head out to um, Tanzania or someplace like that, mm-hmm. and how do you go about getting started? How do you know where to begin, and how do you um, know what to look for?
1: Well, there's a a lot of advanced research that goes into planning an expedition Um, and exploration discovery are certainly very, very exciting parts of the research that I do. Um, I've worked in the East African Rift each summer for the past 18 years with teams of geologists and paleontologists um, working to uncover new species to science and discovering the evolutionary history on the planet. And every single one of those expeditions yields something interesting, something that we didn't know before.
0: My um, reading suggests that that's a pretty broad range of discoveries you've first you found fossils of of everything uh, from mammals to frogs to snakes to fishes. but then you've had some things that happened that allowed you to really um, do groundbreaking discoveries like um, the the point in which Monkeys and apes? What was, what was that? Uh, that event? That sounded like that really changed our thinking as a, uh, uh, as a people. What, what happened there with the apes and what did you find? Well, the, the key is that um,
1: the time period for one of my projects in the East African Rift is at the close of what's called the Oligocene. Uh, time period. And um, it is a time, again, of dramatic environmental change. And this is a time period that we didn't really know as much about, particularly on the African continent. In fact, um, the late Oligocene is the least sampled time period and primate evolutionary history. And so um, because of that undersampling, there there were a lot of missing pieces. There were a lot of gaps in our knowledge. And we were fortunate enough to find a series of localities in the late Oligocene that preserved not just primates, there were primates there, but also a broad range of other organisms that tell us what the environment was like there at that time. And very fortunately, after several years, we were able to discover some of the earliest representatives um, showing us the groups that are now
0: today around us, Old World monkeys and apes. When you make these discoveries, you have some physical things. You have the Mm -hmm. fossils. Mm -hmm. What happens to those? What do you... Take them home. Do you send them back? How how do you use those physical things? So the
1: fossils do indeed tell us a lot about how animals moved about, what that what their diets were, um, and other elements of the environments that they lived in. Um, so yes, we collect fossils, we collect geologic samples, we collect fossil plant materials, and we use all of these multiple lines of evidence to connect our ideas and help us to understand the past world. So when we collect a fossil, it it Is often needing further study. So we prepare these fossils in our fossil preparation lab here at Ohio University and we study them using multiple different scientific techniques. Sometimes we use micro CT, sometimes we use um, microscopy. We do all different types of analyses on these fossils, but we are not in the business of hanging on to them. So um, before we are finished studying them, we make sure that we have images of all of the fossil materials. We have, in some cases, micro CT scans or surface scans of these materials showing us their shape. And we also make fossil casts of many of these. These are sort of replicas of that fossil, of the shape of that fossil that are made of plastic or sometimes even 3D printed. But all of the fossil materials do go back to the country of origin. Um, They are part of the cultural and evolutionary history of these different places. And we feel very strongly, we work with local universities and um, antiquities representatives to make sure that they go back to the museums and universities
0: from the countries that they came from. Well, I want to get back to the idea of creating ex- expeditions that lead to um, exhibits, but because that seems to be part of what you're doing. But I want to go back in time a little bit in your time. So how did you start on the path of becoming a scientist and and thinking of yourself as an explorer, which you are, and when did it all begin? Well, I guess, like most kids, I've always
1: loved to explore, And I've always felt a really strong connection with nature. So um, my family spent summers mostly outdoors in northern Michigan, and I felt a fascination with understanding how things work, cause and effect, form and function. And um, I guess at the end of the day, I never lost that wonder. I was able to define a career as an explorer, helping to unravel threads that connect organisms to their environments. Um, But one key thing that I love about science is how collaborative that it is. And as my career has progressed, I've been delighted to interact with an increasing circle of creative minds. So using critical thinking and hypothesis testing and basic exploration, we all work together to uncover the history of life on Earth and contemplate how our decisions today impact our future.
0: Well, I've been real interested in how to get more girls at the beginning and then in the higher reaches of organizations, more women in the pipeline for leadership in STEM fields in in science and technology and engineering and math, that how do we get um, more women and why is it that women are not represented at the top of those fields um, even compared to the number of people you'd expect from the class that entered Do you have a sense that um, this is something we still need to work at, that we're still not seeing women entering these science fields at at the rate we'd expect? Well, sometimes people ask
1: um, if I faced any special challenges as a female in science. And um, to that, I would respond, of course, we all do. (laughs) (laughs) But I've never let those things stop me from my path. Um, And as I've grown older, I've come to understand the importance of overcoming challenges as a means of personal growth. Um, I've witnessed firsthand how a network of supportive collaborators can help us to address and overcome obstacles in our work and our lives. But returning to encouraging kids to pursue science, um, I think it's really important to encourage all children to explore, to experiment, and to pursue scientific knowledge. The richness and success of our scientific community really depends upon it. And one of the things that I try to do um, is break down the barriers that hold science apart from our everyday lives. Science isn't something for a small population of people to focus on. It's embedded in our everyday decision making, from how we cook, to what we wear, to how we move around the planet. So finding those connections is what makes learning fun. And I think that more emphasis on the connections would encourage many more people, females included, to become engaged in scientific careers.
0: We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash school. So let me ask you, as a parent and somebody who um, is very active in the community, on a community level, on a family level, how do you encourage a kid? What are some suggestions for just getting kids started and, and looking at the world around them? And I guess that's the beginning of science. How, what, where would you advise parents to begin?
1: Well, first of all, um,
0: encourage curiosity
1: ask open-ended questions and really work to break down any barriers or obstacles that you see that are causing um, people to step away from exploration. And I think that um, children are naturally curious. They like to be outside and running around in the world. So um, just finding additional opportunities for kids to play in nature and to play with learning is very important. I think that that's um, really the playground of imagination and that promotes a scientific way of thinking
0: about the world. The um, description you have of, of having kids get out and play and having them engage in the world uh, reminds me of something that you're doing here, that you're just kind of in the um, starting phase of uh, working with a bunch of your colleagues from all kinds of disciplines to expand um, a lovely museum at Ohio University that today's primarily an art museum to, to be a more comprehensive complex to to encourage learning. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, effort to to create a different kind of museum here?
1: Well, to begin with, I'm endlessly inspired by the people that I meet on our campus and our community, and I feel that we have much to share with each other and with the world. And so, um, the Ohio University Museum Complex is a way to bring all of that together. By expanding the definition of a museum, breaking down the walls between disciplines and even between an indoor and an outdoor museum, um, I think that's how we discover new things. There are literally dozens of individuals contributing ideas on everything from specimen collections to ways of exploring art and science in concert, celebrating innovation, developing outdoor learning activities, trails, and tours. So it's really a dynamic and um, exciting group to be a
0: part of. And what is the goal? I mean, I know that this is—you can't say what's going to happen in the future because the team is still working on it. But, but will this be um, a physical space and an experience that's open to the whole community? Who's going to be able to come to the uh, museum? Is it, is it something that's uh, considerably bigger than Ohio University? Absolutely. Um, this is a place, it's, it's a place for
1: discovery and a place for people to connect and engage. So by taking different types of scientific collections, art collections, and a variety of other di- different types of objects from which we learn and putting them all together in certain physical spaces, we can generate exhibits that are really awe-inspiring and cause us to think differently about the world around us. This is something f- uh, at the campus of Ohio University, but it's intended to engage campus
0: and community. Students, faculty, staff, and the general public alike. So this gets at the whole idea of what's a university. And I um, have enjoyed reconnecting with Ohio University through WOUB and other kinds of activities. And what really strikes me that that I didn't know when I was an undergraduate here all those years ago or later at um, Georgetown, I I didn't realize that it's not all about um, the students. A big part of what a university is about is making knowledge available to lots of communities and kind of opening doors for um, like entire regions, right? And so that's part of uh, your effort. It's not just the folks that are on campus. It's, it's figuring out how a university community can engage lots of, lots of people, Right. Correct. Um, I, I first came to Athens
1: um, close to two decades ago, and um, I completely fell in love with the place. The culture, the richness of biodiversity, and everything in the heart of what Athens has to offer. And I think that the region has a, a large story to tell, there's a greater narrative here about our sense of place. And so our university, our community, and the collisions that a museum ca- complex can provide are part of shifting that narrative and really sh- highlighting the strengths of this region
0: and the very interesting things that it has to tell us about the world. So the region is southeastern Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the vi- the biodiversity here. There's, there's quite a bit right around here, isn't there? What What Um, makes one region more diverse than the others. And how does that happen and what's here? Well, I think biodiversity at its heart is always an interaction between um,
1: intrinsic properties of a landscape and the history of that landscape. And um, the region of southeast Ohio has a very complex history over time um, but also a richness in biodiversity der- derived from the kinds of rocks that it has, the kinds of plants that it has, and all the organisms that live upon that landscape. And so um, in recent years, I've become aware of this landscape more deeply through interactions with the local nature preserves and through the um, environmental heart of this area. There are so many different types of organizations, so many teachers that incorporate nature in the classroom, and so many people that spend a lot of time outdoors learning and engaging about nature. And I think that that's one thing that brings us all together. And so breaking down the walls of a traditional museum environment and looking at the, the region as a playground for discovery, I think is really important in, in moving ahead and understanding
0: our place in nature. Okay, so looking um at the places where our listeners uh, might be living, because, of course, that's all over the country. If folks don't have a museum like this yet, and most places don't, um, how do um, how do groups of people who, who want to promote this awareness in their community get started? Is it partly through whatever outdoor-focused groups there might be? Or how, how do you begin to create an awareness of, of the biodiversity of your region, of the impact on the environment of what you're doing, of how people can interact. What's, is there a good starting point? One of the most valuable things that I have learned
1: um, as a part of the process of working with all of the individuals involved in the museum complex is that every single person has a different window into the world. And by sharing our perspectives, and seeing through another person's eyes we can gather such a much richer understanding of the environment of the history and of ideas and really it's fostering those connections that
0: the museum complex is really all about so building a a project like this is partly about building the human relationships so that you can you can explore your environment Partly through the eyes of your colleagues, it's Correct. this is a very collaborative um, activity. and yes. it, it feels like collaboration has been a theme in your career. You're a scientist, you're an explorer, but just looking at the team you have here and the teams you've had behind you, it seems like that's something that's always been a theme that you you know try to bring people together, and then the science happens after that. The exploration happens that. is that is that right?
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, as an example, one of the things that's been most exciting to me um, is learning about the objectives, the interests of my different colleagues, and also watching these interests develop in my students around the world. Um, so, for example, recently one student has explored the impacts of ecotourism in the mountain gorillas of Uganda. Another has participated in the first um, captive reintroduction of leaf monkeys in Vietnam. And another is currently on a Fulbright Fellowship in Madagascar looking at sustainable livelihoods and food security near a rainforest teeming with endangered species. These are all different windows into the types of things that we can do to understand the world. And people here on our campus and in our community are engaged in these types of activities all the time. One of the things that the museum complex is aiming to do is to highlight these different stories and really capture the imagination and and bring additional people into the conversation. If we could solve all of the problems on the earth within any given discipline, we would have done that by now. And so I think most of the interesting new directions for research and for public understanding are really in those interdisciplinary
0: and transdisciplinary connections. And that's also where some of the fun is, isn't it? I mean, isn't part of the fun of exploring is constantly learning other people's disciplines? Precisely. It's a way to engage
1: in lifelong learning in general and a way to remain engaged with new ideas all of the time. Every morning, you can wake up inspired by thinking about what someone else has been considering, what they've been spending their time on. And um,
0: I think this just provides new windows to engage with the world. So it's a a communication and a media focused activity place and a place that you actually engage in the real world and a place that you actually engage in people. It feels like it's going to be a pretty um, wonderful experiential learning side. As is that the right way to describe it?
1: I think so. I
0: I mean, one of the biggest
1: challenges facing
0: universities
1: in this century is that there's so much information available. It's available around us everywhere, every day. Online, programs, all, all kinds of different ways that people can engage with learning. And that's to a great extent a hugely positive thing. But what becomes missing in a lot of those interactions is is the actual conversation. Um, some uh, the, the opportunity to engage with people and have a conversation that changes the way you think about the world. And so I think that the way forward for 21st century universities is really to be thinking about the university as a sense of place and creating those spaces where the magic happens, where you have
0: the conversations and the discoveries occur. That's a wonderful vision, and I think that might be a good thing to, uh, to finish up our conversation. But um, before we go, I want to wish you well with the Museum complex. And do you have any final thoughts on how to engage in this world of learning for, for our listeners? Any uh, further comments? or Sure. Um,
1: I guess what I tell my students is, trust your instincts and your interests. Find the topics that truly spark you and find ways to get involved and do hands-on learning throughout your
0: life. Get outside and explore. That's good advice. Uh, It's a beautiful day outside, so maybe we need to go do that. Thank you for joining me today, Nancy. Thank you, Bev. Today we've been talking with Nancy Stevens about her career as a real-life scientific explorer and her thoughts about bringing science and an awareness of the environment into our daily lives. Today's career tip is that wherever you are, you can keep growing by being an explorer a first step in exploration is to stop being afraid of what you don't know. Allow yourself to feel uncomfortable sometimes and go forward anyway. Notice your own assumptions and challenge them by connecting with people who may have different points of view. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think like an entrepreneur, act like a CEO. If you have questions or suggestions for our show, please let us know. You can write to me directly at beverlyejones at me.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-E-J-O-N-E-S at M-E dot com.